This is a podcast from the Business Times. Imagine if you're a parent and you had spent all that money on storing your children's blood with cord life for years. And there comes a day the cord blood is truly needed for treatment. And then you find out due to these lapses, the cord blood is no longer usable. That would be a devastating blow. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the BT Mark to Market podcast. My name is Ben Paul, and I'm a senior correspondent at the Business Times. This series of podcasts, which is based on my weekly column in the Business Times, aims to provide analysis and insight on market trends and corporate issues in Singapore. We're in the month of February 2024, and one of the biggest corporate stories that's been unfolding over the past couple of months is the case of Cod Life Group failing to appropriately store the cod blood it collects from its customers. This case came to light on the 30th of November last year, when the company itself announced that the Ministry of Health had ordered it to stop for a period of six months, the collection, testing, processing, and storage of any new cord blood or human tissues. The reason was because the company and MOH had found that seven of its cryogenic storage tanks based in Singapore had been exposed to temperatures outside of their normal temperature range since November 2020. Not surprisingly, cord life shares immediately fell by more than 30%, and at least one substantial shareholder has since dumped a significant chunk of its holdings. Now, I'll come back to the investment and stock market angle of Cord Life later in this podcast, but let me first turn to my colleague Megan Chia to help me make sense of everything that's happened so far. Megan has done a lot of the reporting on the Cord Life case for the Business Times, and she also wrote a column back in December headlined Cord Life's Cavalier Response to Breaches Raises Troubling Questions, which had a distinct tone of outrage. Megan, what was it about this case that you found so, so triggering? Yeah, so I think cord life has really failed its investors and customers. So umbilical cord blood is rich in stem cells, and these cells can be used to create treatments for blood diseases and some types of cancer. Many parents spend thousands of dollars to store this blood in the hope that it'll never be used, but if they are needed, they could definitely play a vital role in treatment. Now, cord blood should be stored at around minus 150 degrees Celsius, but at cord life, a probe actually found that temperature in one storage tank reached as high as 20 degrees Celsius this could significantly damage the stored blood. So the company has sent several letters to customers, trying to reassure them or explain the situation, but many parents remain concerned. Meanwhile, on the investor side, the company has responded to the situation quite nonchalantly. And it suggests that there are problems with its corporate governance as well. To me, the biggest red flag is that it did not disclose the storage lapses to its shareholders. It also did not inform investors about MLH's unannounced audits on the company in August and in November. Cod Life is listed on the main board of the Singapore Exchange. I mean, what, what information should that sort of company have disclosed in this sort of situation? Well, Ben, basically in this case, they should have disclosed how and why the lapses actually happened. According to the Singapore Exchange's policy, any event that causes such a disruption to the supply of critical goods or services must be disclosed immediately. For a company like Cod Life, the storage of its cord blood units is basically its critical service. So a situation where the storage tank temperatures went so far out of the acceptable levels should be considered a major disruption to the supply of its business. But not only did Cod Life not disclose these breaches, they also gave vague responses when SGX reached out to them for clarification. So SGX actually asked Cod Life whether it was aware of such breaches prior to the MOH investigation. CodLife answered that, quote, certain members of its management, unquote, knew about the lapses in June 2022. But according to them, they took immediate actions and carried out internal investigations to find out more about the incident. 
CodLife also said it made changes to its laboratory processes and staff training to prevent a recurrence of such lapses. So why did the company not disclose that incident uh, immediately? According to CodLife, their board felt that a Boris announcement was not needed because the incident would have supposedly no material impact to the group's financial performance. CodLife also said it made no announcement about the MOH audits because the company had not been told by the ministry that it had broken any rules or regulations. You know, even if the company really wasn't aware of the severity of the situation at that point, it seems to me they should have been more proactive uh, with its disclosures on this matter. Yes, for sure. I believe so too. These incidents clearly mattered to the business of CodLife and they should have disclosed it as soon as they were discovered. They were also quite cagey in their responses to other questions from SGX. For example, CodLife only acknowledged they knew about the June 2022 incident, but they did not actually say whether they knew about earlier breaches, such as those from November 2020. Mm -hmm. They also said that the company only found out about the February and March storage lapses after MOH did a surprise audit on them in August. Even if MOH didn't say the company was in breach of any rules or regulations, the discovery of more temperature abnormalities should have set off some alarm bells among the members of their board. Not only did CodLife not notify its investors, it also didn't notify the affected customers in June 2022. In response to SGX, well, they didn't really have a response to that. <laughs> so, so, so what does this mean for shareholders of CodLife? I mean, will they be able to get some form of compensation, perhaps, for their losses? So I spoke to some lawyers about this. They told me that shareholders of CodLife could argue they have been shortchanged and are now suffering actual losses as a result of the board keeping mum. But it remains to be seen whether the investors will be able to get any kind of compensation. The lawyers also told me that if the company's directors were aware of the lapses in the affected storage tanks, they could have been deemed to have failed in their fiduciary duties to these investors. Mm. Okay, M Megan, you've, you've said a lot about what Cod Life did not disclose to its customers and its shareholders, but some things it did disclose in recent months might be interpreted differently now that we know about the internal lapses at the company. In particular, Cod Life announced on the 27th of October last year that its CEO, Tan Po Lan, had resigned and that her last day of service with the company would be the 31st of March. The company said at the time that Tan Polan had informed them that she was, in their words, retiring to pursue her personal interests. Uh, this didn't raise any questions initially, but we now know that MOH had conducted audits on the company, crucially in August 2023, and that the company's officials were cooperating with those audits. So it seems unlikely the board did not know when it announced the resignation of the CEO in October that there was potential trouble ahead. Anyway, I did ask the company to comment last week on whether the operational lapses were a factor in the resignation of its CEO, but they were not able to get back to us with a response in time for this podcast recording. Megan, do you, do you think more problems will come to light as a result of this episode? Well, I think it's pretty hard to say. But already in late January this year, MOH had found more process lapses at CodLife. Firstly, in August 2023, CodLife had implemented a CodBlood processing method that was not properly validated according to protocol. Secondly, the company's temperature monitoring system actually failed to send notifications when temperatures in certain tanks exceeded acceptable levels between February and June 2022. And another process lapse that they found was that routine maintenance that was supposed to happen once every six months was not carried out for two tanks in 2022. The ministry has since alerted the company that they will have to rectify these lapses by the end of May this year. But despite these further lapses that were uncovered, MOH did not actually extend a court life suspension period. 
So for now, I think we'll have to wait for the final results of the tests on Codlife's impacted cord blood units to come out. MOH says it'll probably be the end of March. Still to come, is the sell-off in Codlife shares an opportunity for bargain hunters? Or will the stock fall further? The Business Times Podcasts. Relevant. Incisive. Compelling content by some of the newsroom's most respected correspondents in markets, wealth management, and current affairs. Available on all your favorite audio content apps and at www.businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts. And now, back to Mark to Market from the Business Times. Welcome back to Mark to Market. I'm Ben Paul. Earlier in this podcast, I said that Cord Life's share price had fallen about 30% following news that MOH had ordered it to stop operations for six months. In fact, one substantial shareholder reduced its stake in the wake of all the bad news. According to a recent filing, an entity called Robust Plan sold more than 4.6 million Cord Life shares in an off-market deal on the 23rd of January for more than $1.49 million, which translates to about 32.4 cents per share, or about 6% more than Cord Life's current market price. For many investors, a big sell-off like this is often viewed as a potential bargain hunting opportunity. But what they need to figure out is whether the company in question has the capacity to recover from its troubles and whether its stock has fallen as far as it's going to fall. The way I see it, Cod Life shares already offer pretty good value at their recent closing price of 30.5 cents. At that level, Cod Life has a market capitalization of just over $78 million, which is lower than a lot of investors might realize. Cod Life describes itself as the operator of Asia's largest network of cord blood banks, with operations in Singapore, Hong Kong, Indonesia, the Philippines, India, and Malaysia. It also owns an indirect stake in Thailand's largest private cord blood bank. Now, the company's revenue weakened in 2020 and 2021 because of the pandemic, which weighed on consumer spending and made service delivery challenging in some markets because of the restrictions on movement. Cord Life said in its annual report for 2022 that revenue began improving in the second half of the year, but its full-year revenue still ended up coming in 2.7% lower than the previous year, at $55.2 million. On top of that, inflationary pressures weighed on its profitability. This resulted in net profit for 2022 coming in 20.4% lower than the previous year, at $4.9 million. But even using that depressed 2022 net profit base of $4.9 million, Cord Life's market cap is currently less than 16 times earnings, which is not unreasonable given that its recovery seemed to continue into 2023. For the nine months of last year, revenue increased 5.4% to nearly $43 million, and net profit increased 27.6% to more than $3.6 million. But here's the really interesting thing about Cord Life. As at the 30th of September last year, the company had a net cash position of $85 million, which is nearly 9% more than its market cap. So, in the short term at least, I don't think Cord Life is likely to fall much further. Will the company be able to overcome its current problems and spur a recovery in its share price? That's a more complicated matter, largely because we don't yet know the full extent of the problems. There is an investigation going on, but at the moment, the authorities seem more concerned about protecting the public rather than going after the company. Megan, would you, would you agree with that? Well, that appears to be true for now. In December, Health Minister Ong Ye Kang advised parents to hold off their requests for cord blood unit transfers, at least until the full impact of the breaches have been uncovered. 
because the process of transferring cord blood units also has risks. In the meantime, he said MOH will supervise cord life's activities and inventory management and make sure that the company implements processes that are in line with the regulations. Leaving aside uh, the regulatory risks, Megan, if you were a customer of Cord Life, would you still trust the company to keep your cord blood safe? Mm, I don't think I would. Imagine if you're a parent and you had spent all that money on storing your children's blood with Cord Life for years. And there comes a day the cord blood is truly needed for treatment. And then you find out due to these lapses, the cord blood is no longer usable. That would be a devastating blow. Mm. Of course, Cod Life has said it will do its utmost to find a suitable replacement for the cord blood if it's required. And it is determined by the customer's transplant doctor that the cord blood that was stored cannot be used. However, there is no guarantee they'll be able to find this. The company is, however, doing its best to hold on to its customers. When I asked Cod Life about whether its customers are expressing any intention to move their cord blood units to other facilities, they said, what we can share is that moving cord blood units from one location to another is not recommended because it could potentially affect the stem cells. Furthermore, if clients continue to store with Cord Life Singapore, we will be able to continue to honour the commitments in the service agreement we had signed with them. However, if they insist on transferring, we will assist them in completing the transfer. Cord Life has also said that the cord blood units that are definitely from the first tank and are therefore damaged will have their storage fees waived in the future until the child reaches 21 years old while continuing to store the cord blood for them. I guess the question is whether customers of Cord Life actually feel they have any other choice. I mean, is, is Cord Life a particularly competitive player in this field? I would say they are. Cord Life is the first cord blood bank available in Singapore, and they have been around for more than 20 years. Cord Life says it stores over 69,000 cord blood units here, and is also the only listed player on the Singapore exchange. But parents now have other options. There are two other private cord blood banks, Cryoviva Singapore and StemCord. There is also the public Singapore Cord Blood Bank, where cord blood can be donated for free. Of course, these other players are also likely to benefit now. Mm -hmm. They have all had discussions with MOH on the issue, and they have said they are prepared to help if Cord Life customers are looking to transfer. So let me try to translate what you've just said from the perspective of investors. What I hear you saying is that Cord Life operates in a field that's growing, but it does not have the field to itself. It doesn't have any technological advantage over its competitors. And on top of that, even customers who choose not to pay for private cord blood banking services would still have access to new stem cell therapies through the National Cord Blood Bank. Does, does that sound right? Yep, it does. So unless the pregnancy is considered a high risk, like when you have twins, then private banks would be the only option for parents who wish to store their cord blood. Mm, okay. So, so here's what worries me about cord life. After the lapses that have come to light, I think it's fair to say that there will be some regulatory consequences for the company. And even if the company is able to put things right, many potential customers may still decide to choose one of its competitors or turn to the National Cord Blood Bank. So even though Cord Life is in good financial shape at the moment and its shares do not appear to be excessively priced, there is a risk, in my view, of value being eroded over time. The way I see it, Cord Life should begin weighing its strategic options now and try to find an opportunity to unlock value for its shareholders through a sale or merger. And, and this might be welcomed by Cord Life shareholders, which appear to consist largely of financial investors. Just last year, there was talk of a potential acquisition of the group. In June, Cord Life said its board had been notified of discussions by a firm called Cradle Investments and a third party in relation to a possible transaction that might involve 
an offer for the company. Nothing came of the discussions in the end. Cod Life said on the 13th of September that Cradle Investments had ceased its discussions with the third party on a possible deal. Uh, this was around the time that the operational lapses at Cod Life were coming to light. And I asked the company last week if it was a factor in the talks being called off. But again, the company was not able to provide a response in time for this podcast recording. My point in all of this is, given the situation Cod Life is in at the moment, it's best shot at quickly spurring a rebound in its share price and unlocking value for its shareholders, maybe to begin hunting for a strategic deal. It should look into whether its business operations can be sold to another corporate group at a reasonable price, or whether a merger with a larger healthcare group would make sense for its shareholders. Megan, given all the reporting that you've done, I'm curious if you agree with this view. I think that will probably be the best case scenario for investors. It is difficult to see the company truly rebounding without any outside help because the scale of the lapses will be probably felt for a long time. While I wrote in my column that legal experts told BT public investors who suffered losses may be able to seek recourse, all of them were not certain if investors would be able to gain any kind of compensation. After all, even customers may have difficulty gaining recourse. At least through an acquisition, shareholder value may be realised for investors who were shortchanged by the fallen stock prices. Hmm. Well, let's see what happens next. In the meantime, if you're listening to this podcast and want to offer your own view on this intriguing corporate story, feel free to get in touch with me by email at benpaul at sph.com.sg. That's it for this episode of Mark to Market. Thanks very much to Megan Chia for joining me today. I'm Senior Correspondent Ben Paul at The Business Times. This is a podcast by The Business Times. Find more BT podcasts at businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.